Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. So all all we're doing is we're just looking at a couple theology things, a couple issues that just aren't in the Bible. And and the purpose of me naming names tonight is not to be mean. I'm not trying to, you know, let's go, you know, protest their church. Not, you know, let's go Facebook, you know, smash them. No, 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 it's not at all. It's just I want you to understand it. I want you to get a grip of what's really out there. Uh, I'm sure these are wonderful people. I mean, I'm being serious about that. I'm sure they are really nice people. I really do appreciate uh, John MacArthur's uh, stand that he took during the whole COVID thing, I appreciate his, his, his moral character. You know what I'm saying? He's not involved in scandals. Uh, he's, he's the big name out there, and I appreciate that. And I agree with an awful lot of stuff in his books. I really do. I, believe, I agree with his eschatology. I agree with how, you know, child raising, uh, you know, marriage issues and so forth. I mean, I agree with all that kind of stuff. <coughs> uh, and he's probably just a wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, my brother-in-law, uh, actually, uh, my brother-in-law in, in Kentucky, and none of you here know him, is a wonderful guy. He's got a, a Baptist church, and, and he actually ran into John MacArthur one time and invited him over to his house for lunch. Uh, and it just kind of like on a whim. And John MacArthur said, well, sure. And he said, I can't believe you're coming to my house for lunch. And he goes, well, no one ever invites me. <laughs> so, so, and he said he, had just, he was just a really, really nice guy. So, so don't, don't have it in your mind that, you know, we're trying to bash anybody. That's not it. I just try to want you to learn it uh, and, and get beyond a personality and say, well, what is this person saying? So we know this, and we talked about this last week. So what is the gospel? Well, we do know this. The gospel is clearly defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, starting with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, Christians, I declare unto you what the gospel is that I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, which also I received. Here we go. Here's the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Okay, so the Bible's pretty clear. What is the gospel? Uh, The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, But John MacArthur in his book, uh, uh, The Gospel According to Jesus, uh, and, and a lot of his other books, makes it very clear what he believes. And he says this, Yielding completely to Christ's lordship is vital, uh, an element of true saving faith. And remember, you're going to hear this word like true believers or real believers or true saving faith, okay? You'll hear it true as opposed to false, okay? So true faith as opposed to false faith. So you'll hear that. So he says of true saving faith. And therefore, the proclamation of his lordship is an absolute necessary component of the true gospel, In fact, surrender to Christ is an important aspect of divinely produced saving faith, not something added to faith. John Piper says this, Saving faith is no simple thing. It has many dimensions. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is a massive command. It contains a hundred other things. Unless we see this, the array of conditions for salvation in the New Testament will be utterly perplexing. Here we go. We must believe on Jesus, receive Him, turn from our sin, obey Him, humble ourselves like little children, love him more than we love our family, our possessions, and our own life. This is what it means to be converted to Christ. This alone is the way of life everlasting. So they're just saying, yeah, 
Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins? Yeah. And you have to do your part too. So they won't disagree that Jesus died on the cross. They won't disagree with John 3.16. Of course not. Yes, Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins. Yes. And you have to turn from your sin and obey him and, and change and have better behavior. And you need to perform. Okay? So uh, we know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you saved through faith. I've yet to hear any of those people ever say these, this verse. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God. I've never heard anybody say verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not what we do. We all here understand that, okay? And, and so, so, so what did Jesus really say? All right, let's look at this tonight. Um, you can try to look at two things really fast. First thing we're going to look at tonight is this. Lordship teachers and that theology that John MacArthur really kind of, I don't want to say he started it, he just really made it popular, okay? Lordship, lordship theology, that's kind of his thing. Uh, so if you hear someone say he's a lordshipper, this is what he's talking about, okay? That yes, Jesus died on the cross, but you need to make Jesus Lord over what? Over your sin, over your attitude, over your lust, okay? And you gotta, you know, you have to do this, you know, your work on your part. So, lordship teachers teach that believers cannot be dominated by sin at all, okay? So, lordship teachers teach that believers cannot be dominated by sin at all. John MacArthur says this. Uh, through Christians, or I'm sorry, though Christians do fall into sin from time to time, through their own disobedient choices, they are never again the slave of sin, as they were before being rescued by Christ and set free. Sin no longer has the power to control them. The idea that a Christian can continue, listen, to live habitually in sin, so this idea that a Christian can continue to live habitually in sin, not only is unbiblical, but irrational. Christians obviously are able to commit many of the sins they committed before salvation. Notice he said many of the sins that are committed before salvation. But they are not able to live perpetually in those sins as they did before. It is not merely that Christians should not continue to live in the realm and dimension of sin, but that they cannot. A true Christian cannot have habitual sin. Pause, we talked about this a little bit last time. So how many times do you have to do it before it's habitual? I mean, it's two, three times. What's a, what's a pattern? Remember we talked about a pattern? I don't know what, a, what, they never define what a pattern is, but that's pretty tough. Um, Paul, in the book of Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, chapter 6, verse 12, says this. Now, remember Paul's talking to Christians, okay? He's talking to Jewish believers that live in Rome. That's why the book's called Romans. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. So the word reign is the word abasthelio, which literally is translated uh, uh, as control or, or to reign, but the tense of it, the tense, or like, you know how you, like a verb has a tense, the tense of it is what's called the present tense. It's not uh, an indicative tense, like it's not a command, but it's present tense. So it's, it's something that's happening right now or continual or daily, uh, and it's a possibility. So in other words, if we look at this verse in the right tense, he's saying this, let not sin therefore reign continually as in right now. It, it's, it's literally the tense of it's taking place at this moment. 
He's not saying like it's a possibility, like, like someday maybe it could rain or someday maybe it could snow. It's like he's saying it's snowing right now, okay? It's happening at this moment. So he's saying don't sin right now. Don't, don't let this happen in your life right now, but get it, but, but understand this. It, if Paul's saying that, that, that the believer should not let it happen right now, what's he implying? Now think about that. The obvious, that it can happen right now, right? And, and if, if it couldn't happen, if, if sin couldn't reign in your body, if you couldn't have a habitual sin, then, then why would Paul even say this? It would have no weight. It, it would be better expressed as, as what would be called the indicative mood or a statement of a fact. Author uh, Dr. Butcher uh, says this, Commands to obey become irrelevant and illogical if obedience is assured. Either the New Testament honestly exhorts believers to obedient Christian living, understanding the real possibility of failure, or the strong ethical section of the apostles' writings are reduced to logical absurdities. So, so the Bible is literally either telling Christians to grow up, and, and we, we know that when we read the New Testament, hey, babes, right? Hey, little ones, you know, stop doing this, do this, don't do this, act like this. Why does he keep talking to the church and keep telling them to start or to stop doing things if it was automatic and it wasn't happening in the first place, okay? If, if there wasn't the reality of habitual sin or to be dominated by sin in a Christian's life, why did Paul write all those letters to the New Testament church? I mean, if, if all the believers had it figured out and weren't sinning, then why does Paul have, why, why would he even write? Remember we talked about the letter to, to the church in Corinth? Why does Paul have to write to the church in Corinth and say, your attitude stinks, you're full of pride, and we all know some of you are sleeping with your mother-in-law, right? I mean, right? I mean, that's kind of crass to say it, but that's what he's saying. It, it's really bad. I mean, you guys are messed up. Why would Paul do that if it wasn't going to take place at all anyways, okay? So, um, can, can a Christian sin? Yes, a Christian can sin. Should a Christian sin? No. It's, it's a battle of our old nature and our new nature. We talked a little bit about it in the past. We'll talk some more about it tonight. Um, let, let me remind you of this, and I say this, and, and sometimes I say this on Sunday morning, and I think from newer people, I hear a little bit of a gasp. <laughs> but let me say this, and I want you to understand it. I believe that a Christian can sin just as bad, if not worse, than an unbeliever. Right? The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A Christian has a new nature now, but a Christian still has the old nature. So, can a Christian murder? Yeah. Can a Christian do drugs? Yeah. Can a, can a Christian be an addict? Yeah. Well, why couldn't they be? I mean, they still have their old nature. The, the tough thing about this, and, and we'll see this here in a second too, is that an awful lot of people say, well, gee, I must not be saved because, you know, pick the sin. And of course, we always like to pick on the addict. I hate that, you know, because I still smoke. I still do drugs. I still drink. You know, we pick on that. Well, what about, what about the sins that no one sees? I mean, what about envy or lust or jealousy or gossip or pride, you know? Well, I must not be saved. So I know an awful lot of Baptist churches that have an altar call and, you know, a little Bobby in the back there comes up to the altar call and gets saved every Sunday 
20 times, you know what I mean? And then finally, he's 20 years old, and he says, well, I finally really got saved. Really? You really got saved? So what happened last year? What happened the last 10 times you came forward, you know? I think some of those Baptist churches have a problem with their, with their eternal security. Because they'll say, well, a Christian really wouldn't go out and, and, and whatever, do drugs on Saturday night, and then come to church on Sunday morning. Oh, really? <laughs> you haven't been to our church. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what planet you're living on. Yes, a Christian can sin just as bad as an unsaved person can, and usually it's worse. It's not good, not right. I mean, think about all the things Paul says. You know, don't, don't just, because, just because you can, don't just go out and sin. You know, I got liberty to sin. No, don't just do that. But, you know, what did Paul say too? Why is it I do the things I don't, you know, I don't want to do and I can't do the things I want to do? He's having a struggle. Because we have our old nature and we have our new nature and the two of those are battling all the time. Whichever one we feed, whichever, whichever nature we feed is the one that wins. So if we're reading this book, if we're spending time in prayer, if we're hanging out with good Christian friends, Sunday morning comes along, and it's not a big battle to go to church. It's like, well, I'm going to go to church. Of course I am, because I've been feeding my new nature. But we feed our old nature, and we watch junk on television. Our, our music selection is terrible, uh, and our friendships are terrible, and we're hanging out with the wrong friends. And then Sunday morning comes along, well, should I go to church? Nah, I don't think so. Why? Because you've been feeding your old nature all week, okay? It's a constant battle. We see the old and new nature in Scripture. All right, but, but here's the problem, and take a look at this. This is the next one we're going to look at, next problem. Lordship teachers confuse and combine justification truth with sanctification truth. Okay, there's a difference between salvation and service. So leave this screen up. I just want you to understand it. Justification is when we get saved. That's salvation. We're we're, we're, we're just as if I never sinned, okay? We're justified in God's sight, okay? That's called justification. The moment we become a Christian, we're, we're just as if we never sinned. That's the easy way I'd like to remember it. Justification, okay? We're made, we're made right in God's eyes, okay? So, teachers confuse and combine justification, these truths, with sanctification truths. Now, remember we started to talk about sanctification a little bit last week. Sanctification is the process of us growing uh, every day, maturing, becoming more like Christ every day. We're, 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 we're yielding to God's Spirit in our life. We're yielding to, to the disciplines of, of, of a Christian life, right? We're growing more like Christ. One day we die, or the rapture takes place. I'm looking for the uppertaker, not the undertaker, just so you know. We go to heaven. Boom. Sanctification is complete. We are like Christ, right? We're perfect. We have no more sin. So that's that's that, that's the future, and that's guaranteed, and that's for sure. But while why we're here on earth, it's a process of growing. Uh, God wants us to grow. Grow up, little babes, and we see that in the New Testament all over the place, you know. Stop being a little, a little babe, you know. Uh, st start taking some meat. Stop taking the milk, you know. I'm trying to teach you spiritual. We should be growing. But, but the problem is that a lot of lordship teachers uh, confuse and combine your salvation, the moment I get saved, these truths... With sanctification, the truth about me growing as a Christian. Remember how I do that? There's a difference between salvation and service. Listen carefully. When you read a passage in the Bible, you better be crystal clear in context. Is this passage talking about me becoming a Christian and getting saved? Or is this passage talking about now that I am a Christian, how do I grow? Okay? 
Salvation, sanctification, or in this thing, justification, sanctification, okay? What is it talking about? But a lot of lordship teachers, uh, let's say John MacArthur or John Piper, they, they confuse those things and they combine those things. Uh, let me show you an illustration of that. John MacArthur says this quote from one of his books. Do not, he says, he says, do not separate justification and sanctification so radically that you allow for one without the other. This is the error of antinomianism. Justification refers to the very salvation event, whereas sanctification refers to the process of spiritual development. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you on that. And we believe that justification and sanctification are inseparable, so that, so, sorry, inseparable. So those who were, oh, there's that word again, truly justified are being sanctified. Those who experience the saving event are in spiritual progress, and it shows up in their life. John Piper says this in one of his books. So the big purpose of Romans 6 is to show why justification by faith always brings sanctification with it. Without this deliverance from the rule and slavery of sin, without a new direction of righteousness and holiness in our lives, we will not inherit life, eternal life. Okay, he's saying that. I'm not saying This is what he says. So are they making a big deal out of it? And Am I, am I overstating John Piper or John MacArthur? No. They're saying... If, 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 if you're not growing, you're not getting saved. You're, you're not saved. It's impossible. Keep going. The result of being freed from sin and being enslaved to God and then bearing the fruit under sanctification is eternal life. These steps are not optional. This is the only path that leads to eternal life. Guys, that sounds like, like Catholicism to me. And just so you know, John Piper heads a Baptist church. He's a pastor of a Baptist church in Minnesota. John MacArthur is a pastor of a Bible church, okay? They're not Catholics. They're not Lutherans. Being freed from the slavery to sin, enslaved to God, bearing fruit in a life of holiness, and finally eternal life. That is why holiness and the fight against sin in this chapter is so serious. We are not playing games. Eternal life is in the balance. Piper concludes this article with this statement. So justification is necessary for eternal life as a legal ground or basis of it, which we obtain by faith. And sanctification is necessary for eternal life as the public evidence that our faith is real. There's kind of that term, remember, true, real. Is it true faith? Is it real safe? Is it, is it saving faith? But salvation and service are actually two different dis discussions. And yeah, church should should a Christian grow? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course. Can we judge another person's actions? We, we really can't. I mean, can you, and they go as far as actually to want to judge someone's motives. And they'll say, well, it's just automatic that a person grows. Um, I got saved when I was in second grade. Let me ask a question. Help me out. Teachers, help me out. How old are you in second grade? Seven. Some of you are saying eight. You're saying eight because you flunked. <laughs> All right. So I'm 53 now. So 53 subtract eight is 45 years ago. Does that sound right? <laughs> Don't ask me math questions. I went to a Christian school. Okay. So <laughs> 45 years ago. Okay. If sanctification was automatic, it's been 45 stinking long years 
since I got saved. Why am I still struggling with sin? How long does this have to go on? I mean, isn't 45 years long enough? I mean, right? You see why an awful lot of people get frustrated? Why an awful lot of people quit their faith, so to speak? An awful lot of people want to give up because they're going, well, everybody else in the church is living just a perfect, great life but me. I read John MacArthur's books. I read John Piper's books. And it seems like it's automatic, like it's just supposed to happen. But it sure hasn't happened to me. I told you I had a guy one time say to me, and he was insincere, you know, but he said, you know, when I got saved, I really got saved. I was like, really? You really got saved? Okay. He goes, yeah, at that moment, I, you know, he said, I quit swearing, I quit smoking, and I quit drinking. Boom. And I just say, praise the Lord. But the implication was, I got really saved, really saved, and I don't have a problem with those things anymore. The people that come to your church on Friday night may not really be saved because they're still struggling with those things. That was the inferred implication, okay? So when you're really saved, you don't have to fight those things anymore. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just say this. I know our church. <laughs> if that's true, ain't none of us saved here <laughs> because we all struggle with it. Um, and so it's just, it's just kind of the way it is. And, and, and one, a lot of people just, why am I still sinning? If, if this is automatic and it's just going to happen, then, then why? Well, because uh, it, we have that old nature still, okay? We are born with this old nature. We're born in sin. We, we, don't, we don't lose it until the day we step into eternity. And at that moment, the old nature's gone, right? We're in heaven forever with the new nature. It's complete. We don't have any more sin. We don't have any more bad thoughts. We don't have any more envy. We don't have any more jealousy. We don't have any more anger. That's over. But right now, we're stuck with this old nature. And this old nature is battling us every single stinking decision you know, should I do this? Should I watch this? Should I listen to this? Should I go here? Should I hang out with that friend? Should I read my Bible? Okay, how about real quick? Can I get a raise of hands real quick? Real quick, ready? Raise your hand. Be honest. Raise your hand if sometimes you just don't want to read your Bible. Yeah, okay. Raise your hand, church, if you had one of those days this week. You just, well, you're a pastor and you're raising your hand. I know, I still got this stinking old nature. <laughs> you know, wait a second. If, if, if you are really saved, it should just be, I mean, if there's anything that should be part or a sign of sanctification, should be just the automatic reading of the Bible. I mean, right? It's God's Word. I mean, this should be the thing that should just, boop, it should just happen. Like, I just love to, well, I love to read my Bible too, but there's days I just struggle, guys. I just, it's like, I don't want to do that. But, but, you know, I'll definitely watch Fox News for a half an hour. I can do that, right? So, uh, Dr. Ryrie, uh, Charles Ryrie says this in one of his books, talking about this, like if it's, if it's really just normal and it's automatic and you don't have to work for it or yield to it, then this is what he says. Uh, I don't know if I have the quote on the screen or not, but I'll read it. How long should it take before a believer might be considered spiritual? The answer to this question would depend on who you want to ask. The Lordship proponents would answer, quote, not long, even though they would be unable to identify or quantify that amount of time. That's a good point. So how long would it take? I mean, if you got saved and it was automatic, I mean, how, is, how long should it take before it's just automatic? Well, I'm going on 40, what I said, 45 years since I got saved. Uh, even though they were unable to identify or quantify that amount of time, they would still hold stringently to their answer. Consider the comments by John Piper. This is uh, 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 Dr. Irie speaking. 
Could it be that the reason you have not made any progress beyond those early days is that you really are no different than an ordinary natural man? This is John Piper saying this. He doesn't want you to believe it, and he doesn't treat them that way. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. The warning is sounded. Not to make progress in Christian maturity is dangerous. But let's not treat continued immaturity as unimportant. It could be a sign that no true spiritual life was ever present. There's that word true again. So the fact that you are still struggling could be a sign that you are never saved in the first place. This is, this is a quote right in the book. And that the professing Christian is only a natural man after all. So a professing Christian is only an unsaved person after all. You, you say you're a Christian, but you're really not. You're not. Oh boy, that seems really... Yes, it's possible that someone who is living carnally is not really saved. It is true. Just because someone thinks that they are saved or says they're saved, it does not mean that they are saved. Wow. All right, we've got to be done. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Apparently, John did not consult with uh, John Piper uh, when he wrote this. These things have I written unto you that what? Say it, church. Have I written unto you that believe? Say it a little bit louder. These things have I written unto you, those that believe. Does it say those of you that truly believe? Does it say those of you that really believe? It just says believe, okay? It just believe. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, say it out loud, church, you may know. Does it say think? Does it say wish? Does it say hope? Does it say imagine? It says no. You can go ahead and look up that in a King James dictionary. You can go and look it up in the Greek. You can go ahead and dig through it all you want. The word no means no, okay? 100% confidence, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's the word no. So I've written unto you that believe that you may know that you have eternal life. So church, what is it that you can know? You can know what? That you have what? And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I've written these things to you so that you're confident, you're assured, you're 100%. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know you have eternal life. You know. And the qualification for knowing is what? Belief. Because of the fact that you've believed in the name of the Son of God, because of the fact that you believed uh, in, in who Jesus was in the sight, you believe these things, you can know these things. It doesn't say those of you that truly believe, those of you that really believe. It just says the word believe, okay? So Jesus didn't say all that stuff, okay? You, a, a simple reading of this book will never, will never lead you to believe those things, or, or I should say it this way. A reading of this book will never lead you to come to the same conclusions that John MacArthur and John Piper gave in those quotes I just gave you. You would never get there from just reading this book. You can't. You cannot get there from here. You can't. Those two just, they'll never intersect. They never do. All that theology, all their ideas, is nowhere founded in Scripture. It, there, there, there's never a Bible verse behind any of that theology. Someone asked me the other day, said, Pastor, would, would you debate uh, someone on lordship salvation? I say, absolutely. One condition. The only book we can use to debate it is this book. 
oh, no, 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 no. But what if, you know, John MacArthur said, no, you, you can't say what John MacArthur said or John Piper said or, you know, what Joel Osteen said. I don't care who it was. You, you, no. You can only quote this book. You will never get to those conclusions by just reading this book. Church, <clears throat> put away some of those Christian books and let's just read the Bible, all right? Because there's a lot of the things that people are saying that Jesus didn't say it and the Bible didn't say it, okay? It's just not in the Bible. A Christian can sin. Should a Christian sin? No. Should a Christian fight against those things? Should a Christian be yielding to the Holy Spirit? Yeah, absolutely, every day, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But church, don't ever let the fact that you sin question your salvation. They're, they're not, that's two, different, that's two different things to discuss. Your salvation is because you believe that Christ died on the cross and paid your sins, okay? All of your sins, past, present, and the ones you're going to commit tomorrow, that Jesus knew about when he died on the cross. You didn't know you were going to commit them, but he already knew you were going to commit it. When he died on the cross, he's like, oh yeah, Dan Reha, you know, next Monday, oh yeah, he's going to have that thought. Yeah, paid for it, right? So don't, don't ever question your salvation because you struggle with a sin, with your sin nature. Hey, just don't do that. very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.